Welcome to the Good Mums Say Bad Words potty. Hi, I'm Lisa. Some people call me sarcastic, some even an asshole. but really, I just say the shit everyone else is thinking. And I'm Karaya, just a wife who has to put up with this shit. Hi everybody, we are back again, but this time it's me writing solo, no Karaya. We have a very special guest with us today, uh, a good friend of ours, Tegan. Welcome, Tegan. Thanks for having me. No worries. So uh, I actually was going to start, well, we do start the guest potties um, with a couple of questions, but before that, uh, I was just going to go into how we actually met because I reckon it's a pretty cool story. Um, so I'll, I'll give you my version and then you can you can jump in and, and give your version. So we were holidaying in Geelong and decided to uh, rent a, an overpriced cabin <laughs> right next to the swimming pool and we were sitting out on the balcony uh, and the kids were playing in, in front of the the cabin and we we saw you guys um with your caravan and you were setting up your annex and we were looking over three young kids three young boys and thinking what a fucking legend how <laughs> the hell is this woman doing this anyway we you know looked on uh and then the boys started. They boys came over and they started playing with the girls. And then we said, "Look, we'll look after them. You guys set up your fucking annex. Good on you. We're not having a bar of that." <laughs> and then the rest is history. That's, that's, that's my that. take on it. <laughs> well, for me, I'm also remembering it as a lot of swearing. Yeah. <laughs> um, my ex-husband actually hitting the. Uh, the power box for the site when he was reversing into the site. <laughs> we and, <missed> it. <laughs> and the people across from you guys came over and had to try and help us move the caravan off the power box no and way. thinking, oh, my God, what a great start to a holiday. <laughs> and then the kids came over to you guys asking if they could have an icy pole. And I was like, oh, how could this get any worse? I think maybe we should go home. <laughs> but then no, we had a great time, didn't we? The, we did. We got along got along great. Then we ended up uh at Discovery Park. We had a day there, which was awesome. Um and yeah, like I said, rest is history. So uh we seem we seem to be doing this a lot lately, actually, meeting people. Um in one of our last episodes, we uh or Karai did a bit of a stalk on on a, a same sex couple. Um, in a caravan park too so it seems to be our mo but um all right so first question um you've got three boys describe your pregnancies in three words so start with start with child number one and then go down three three words to describe your pregnancies um swear as much as you want Simple, mm. straightforward, disaster. Was that Aston? Yeah. Great. And Nixon? Um, train wreck? <laughs> yeah. Fucked around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
It's got a hyphen in it, obviously. And, yeah, and and blessing. Okay. Yep. And Cohen. Shit show. Absolute shit show. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, miracle. Yeah, great. I, I love that. I think um, we'll definitely go further into that because I know a little bit more about that, but I reckon um, some of the listeners would like to hear about, uh, yeah, your experiences because they've definitely been interesting. Uh, question number two, what's the most fucked up random thing that one of your kids has done? <laughs> um, Take your pick. Oh, God, there's lots of them with three boys, but... Uh, actually, it was last night, Nixon, the five-year-old, he farted and he goes, oh, whoops, I think I just shit myself. Put his hand down there and he was like, yeah, I did. My wipes. Can you wipe my bum? And I was like, oh, mate, is this really happening? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I've... um. I've been sick for a while, so laughing is not a good time for me. But that's a good one. I like it. That's my kind of that's my kind of boy. <laughs> um, all right. So for you, uh, tell us a little bit about raising three boys and what's an average day or week look for, look like for you in your household. It's quite hectic and full on, as you could imagine. Um, yeah. I have two mummy's boys so nixon and colin they both fight over who can have the most attention and if i tell them off it's why don't you love me anymore and they play the uh you know the violin to themselves yep. aston seems aston likes to chill and research stuff on his ipad so he spends a lot of time on his own um, and doesn't really like to socialise with me or his brothers on the on the best of days. Yeah. But, um, look, there's lots of fighting. Um, I can't keep enough food in the house. I don't know how <laughs> I'm going to feed them as teenagers. Call it a snack um, bitch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like snack bitch all the time. I'm always late. Wherever I go, I can't get anywhere on time because they yeah. just drag the chain. Um, and because, you know, mum will do everything for them. They take no responsibility, just typical boys. Yeah. So that's so pretty much it. Do you, have a, do you have a good schedule at home where you just kind of do whatever works or do you guys try and stick to, you know, some sort of schedule to, to stop the mayhem from, you know, what it is, what it is like being parents? Pretty routine of an afternoon. So when I pick the boys up, We'll do like anything that we've got to do after school, whether it's like swimming or um, any other activities. And then it's generally get home and start cooking tea and have yeah. dinner by about six at the latest so that the kids are like bathed and showered or whatever and yeah. in bed by about 7.30, 8 because we're all just ratchet by yeah. back then. But in the mornings, like I, no matter if I try and stick to a, a routine or have something going on, it just doesn't work. Like yeah. mornings are... Good time. Amazing. And add a dog to it too. That's like good fucking time for everyone, isn't it? Oh, really great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Karai yeah. decided to get the dog and um, I think he's regretting it because every morning the dog decides to eat something or, you know, have a, an attack or like starts, 
you know, biting the school uniforms or whatever it happens to be because it's not hard enough getting out of the house. You need that in your life too. Yeah, you really do. Obviously. Um, so how close in age are your children and was that uh, a choice or did you, is that an accident? So um, there is 19 months between Aston and Nixon and then just over two years between Nixon and Colin. So um, Aston was definitely planned. When I was 19, I think it was, I was diagnosed with um, some pretty bad endometriosis. So I was told that time will be against me. If you want to have kids, um, you know, get that done earlier um, rather than later if you can. Um, And at the time, um, my husband at at that point, point in time we were happy to do that so we fell pregnant with Aston um and I was 12 weeks pregnant at our wedding um so that was fun having to pretend I was drunk and having a really great time like everyone else but really I was dying inside um (laughs) so then I because so I have two siblings myself there's four years between my brother and I and seven between my sister and I so I ideally wanted smaller gaps um for the boys to grow up together uh rather than you know different stages of life like I found that quite difficult for myself yeah so um which I'm glad that I had my three children pretty close because at the age of 27 I had to have um, a medically required hysterectomy. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. So I'm glad I was dealt those cards early. So incredible that you were able to have three children also with endometriosis. We've touched a lot on um, already in some of our episodes about, um, you know, people's fertility or infertility issues that they've had um, and also how common endometriosis and also you know, polycystic ovaries or syndrome is as well. Um, but how successfully people or how successful people can still be conceiving their children? Well, I was very lucky. Uh, a lot of my friends haven't been so lucky in that regard. Um, I don't know why I was. Like I um, I can't really explain that. But, the yeah, the fact that having to have a hysterectomy at 27 makes me wonder whether I was a ticking time bomb in, yeah. that, in that relation. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And and going back to, you know, describing your pregnancies before, you know, words like miracle and, you know, blessing, like the, every child is such an amazing gift because, you know, what we go through um, at conceiving and also during pregnancies and also childbirth um, is just insane. Um, actually, probably a good segue to talk about um, some of your experiences with end of pregnancy. So how the boys, um, they were all preemie, weren't they? Yeah, so Aston, the pregnancy with Aston was so smooth, um, had no dramas, wasn't high risk, like just cruised along. The only yep. thing was is that he was breech. Um and it was looking like I was going to have to have a Caesar, but I was booked in to try and have him turned two days after I actually had him. So I had him at 35 oh, weeks. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yep. Um, I yeah, went into hospital and they were like, you're 35 weeks, it's your first baby. It's Braxton Hicks. Go home, have some Panadol because we all know Panadol does wonders. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And no, I was actually in labor um, and I lost my plug down the street because I hadn't like packed my bag or anything like that. And by the time I got to the hospital, I think I was four centimeters and the nurse um, before I was checked said, you know, like I, I wanted to call husband at the time. And she said like, you know, don't be so ridiculous. You're not in labor. And then when they said, oh, yeah, you're actually four centimetres, you're, you're, you're in labour, I said, well, is it okay if I call him now? Like, he's, <laughs> you know, he's at work. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was a bit of a, you know, like us women know our bodies better than anyone else. So it's yeah. funny when someone tries to tell you different. So, Especially um, to when I've heard a lot of stories about people who, you know, with midwives and, and take my hat off to them, wonderful people, but ones that haven't had children and they you know, we'll, we'll try and give you advice about childbirth. And it's like, yeah, well, if you haven't done it yet. It's not maybe just textbook thing, is it? Yeah. Oh, God, no. God, no. Um, sorry, continue. So uh, 35 weeks. Yeah, so had to have him by emergency um, C-section because he was still breech. So that was fine. It was an experience and a half. Um, but, like, I recovered fine from that Caesar. So, like, nothing yeah, nothing bad sort of went on there. Um, and you get a private room, so that's a perk. Um, How big was he? He was six pound two. Oh, so yeah. not a bad size for a 35 yeah. weeker. Yeah. Um, yeah. Considering the other two were smaller yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that. Then Nixon, um, I elected to have a Caesar, yeah. but he should have been delivered at 32 weeks. My, for some reason, once I sort of hit third trimester, my umbilical cord, the blood flow like reverses. So the baby stops growing, but they wanted to keep pushing for him to be considered term because it was better for his lungs and stuff, which I understand. But, you know, once again, parents know better and they know what's going on. Um, in their in their tummy so he was six pound at 37 weeks so you could tell the difference there two weeks further on but still smaller than what Aston was at 35 yep and then Colin fine no issue there was yeah sort of normal procedure there nothing scary or unforeseen nah it was just um I was induced um and then yeah opted for the caesar in the end because he was just in distress so oh so um, they were going to let you um uh give birth naturally yeah they were going to try for a v-back um although horrible experience like for me um i don't know of many successful v-backs really when Mm. you're being um induced that like you know sure if you're going to labor naturally but um it was horrible because once you've had a Caesar, you can't have the normal um, inducing procedure because right. it could rip your scar tissue so you could, yeah. like, bleed out. Yeah. So that was a bit slow. Yeah, yeah right. Um, before you go on to uh, baby number three, what was it like being pregnant um, with a toddler? Um, I think I enjoyed that. Um it was nice, like Aston was, you know, wanted to touch the tummy and kiss the tummy and I think that was a nice experience. It was definitely more exhausting but um, you sort of don't know any different but then it's when you go from having one child to two when that pregnancy is over, 
yeah like wow this is a massive yeah. change yeah. Yeah. but yeah. I think it was stressful having a high risk pregnancy already having one child so you have to try and keep everything normal at home but really yeah. you're stressed out yeah absolutely and did you have um did you have a lot of help did you continue working as well while you were doing all that yeah continued working um yeah. I went back to work six six months after I had Aston yeah well. um so yeah that was tough but I know you got to do what you got to do do what you got to do hey and um once uh Nixon came along did you see a big difference or a big shift in your household in terms of um managing going from one to two for me yes like as you know as mums we take on most of the responsibility anyway but um I think I took on like I realized that um things were different within the household and you know like this is probably a little bit off track but financial budgets and all that sort of thing change when you go from having one kid to two um two kids to get to bed, two kids to feed, two kids to organise and all that type of stuff. And I think as women we're we're great um, sort of navigating through that but getting other people on board that should be on board I found to be a little bit more difficult. So I think I struggled and felt a little bit alone in that sense, not from my immediate family but obviously from my husband at the time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You kind of get lost in it, I think, sometimes, um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk about being single single mum um, a little bit later, but um, I know when I was, was doing single parenting, you know, you, yeah, it's, I think one one thing that, uh, or, you know, some ad- advice, I guess, for, um, for couples is the communication's got to be up there because children are so fucking hard um you know and they take up so much time and like you said as as mums especially um and you know I'm sure that there are a lot of dads out there that um you know that that are the same but you know that your children become your number one priority and if you don't communicate with your partner um about you know if you're having a bad day or the kids have, have, have made it hard or um you know like Kariah and I we you know we eye roll to each other all the time when you know or we look at each other and go oh god our kids go to bed at 6 30 so that's that's actually their choice not necessarily ours they're done by 6 30 and it's like um you know better for everybody if if they're um in bed and, and chatting for half an hour before they fall asleep but we kind of look at each other and watch that clock going Fuck, can you just <laughs> hang in there hang in there just you know but I think you know when you go from from having no kids to one or one to two or two to three or whatever it may be, if you don't increase that communication or have it there, it makes it very fucking hard. Yeah, communication 100% is the key. Yeah, (laughs) it's not going to work. All right, so two to three, tell us about that. Um, Tell us about how, yeah, how was the pregnancy with with Cohen as well and and (laughs) how did that happen? So I was advised after having Nixon that look at probably each pregnancy was going to be more high risk than the other but I wasn't finished I thought that I was finished with two but then I decided look I still have it in my heart for another and if it's going to get to a point where I couldn't have more kids I may as well try for it now so um you know so I became pregnant with Colin um 
it's high risk pretty much the whole way through. So from 26 weeks, I think it was, I was having two weekly visits to the women's and two weekly visits to the Ballarat base. I was in hospital practically four days a week on a CTG, having ultrasounds, growth scans. It was hell. Um, He had pretty much stopped growing from about 27 weeks. So the the, the blood flow was, um, yeah, like sort of wasn't passing through. So he, everything that um, I was trying to give to the baby, the like he, he wasn't really getting any of it. Um, but the women's, they obviously have their high tech sort of scans and like ultrasounds and all that type of stuff. And I kept getting really conflicting um, information. So the base would say, Uh, look, the blood flow is going this way. And the women's would say, no, it's not. It's going the other way. Um, It was just like an absolute shit show. Um, Really, really stressful. I was still working. I was working in Melbourne at the time. So I was on the road with that. I actually uh, became a little bit uh, not, well, obviously you don't get postnatal depression until, after you've had the child but I felt like I had the whole world on my shoulders and there was nobody else there that could support or help me because it's just you you're the one that's carrying this child yeah um so anyway we planned that um to just try and get to 32 weeks so that I could have the baby in Ballarat um we had just made it to the 32 week mark and um I'd been pushing and pushing and pushing for him for them to do an emergency C-section to bring him on. I just knew that something wasn't right. He wasn't growing. And they were like, no, 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 we'll go week by week. And then it got to about 10 o'clock on the night of the 5th of August, 2018, um, and he just stopped moving. So I monitored that for about an hour before I rang the hospital um, and they said to come in. And so when I was in the hospital there, he didn't move. I was on the CTG and it was just like his heartbeat was there, but it was just really like straight sort of flat line. So then the doctor had to, you know, had their full hand up my bloody cha-cha. <laughs> there, there's, there's, no, there's nothing you just can't do after having No, it's just you, you leave with there's no, like you've got no dignity left no, in your life after nothing. the kids. So yeah. wiggling his head around, trying to get it, like, you know, get him to move, still couldn't move. Mm. Um, so then it was announced as a Category 1 emergency Caesar. So called over the, the PA system and I was rushed down to, uh, theater um and he was born gee, it, to me it felt like five seconds later like it was really fast compared to the other two Caesars yeah um but he came out and he had a little cry and he was all good um thankfully but you know if he had been left for too much longer it might have been a different story he was three pound eight I think when he was born so it was like 1.66 kilos so only tiny um that's amazing all seemed well when he first came out, but then after five days of being in hospital, he contracted meningitis. Oh, my goodness. And was transferred to Melbourne. So that's pretty much that um, experience. So we're in Melbourne for just short of a month at the Mercy in Heidelberg, I think it was. Absolutely. That's where my girls were born. 
phenomenal hospital. Like, yeah. it was great. Um, yeah. Why not the children's just because? Well, I think we don't get the choice, but from what I could gather, there was a couple of other children that got transferred to the children's, and that's generally if they need surgery okay. or they've got something really quite significantly wrong, whereas the Mercy yeah. is more so... Um, they seem to be where children went if they had like sepsis and that type of thing, whereas, yeah, the children's was more significant. But they did get advice from the children's on what antibiotics he needed to be to fight the infection, but he yeah. just wasn't transferred there. It's Yeah, and, and what did you do with uh, the boys, with Aston and Nixon, while you guys were uh, in Melbourne and dealing with all of that did you guys relocate or did you go up every day what did you so you i was what like five or six days after my caesar and like you know five yeah. us women like i yeah. just got in the car and i'm like oh i'm gonna drive you're not supposed to drive for six weeks but like yeah. what are you supposed to do like you need to go yeah. see your child Absolutely. um i so the boys were still in kinder and childcare, so that was uh, amazing the child care center that um the boys were going to at the time were really accommodating they knew how high risk my pregnancy was and how stressed i was and um even for additional dates and stuff they helped me get them in so um and my auntie also from Mackay flew down to help with that wow. as well. yeah. so that was really lovely yeah um i was offered accommodation down at the hospital with can't quite remember the organization um so I had a room that I could stay in if I needed to stay as well but I found myself really torn between needing to like to love my boys that I had at home but then also yeah. love my boy that I had in the hospital and I found that really tough um, you know um uh, at the um at the mercy there they have you were talking about not postnatal but I guess you could call it prenatal. Uh, when I had, uh, when I had, after I had Miller um, and going through what I did when I was was pregnant, they had a service, um, I think it was called Piri or so, something along those lines. It stood, I can't remember exactly what it stood for, but basically um, for the first time that I had heard, I'd, no other parents that I'd spoken to or anything, they had prenatal and postnatal care for um, parents um, you know, who had gone through certain things, whether it be during your pregnancy or after your pregnancy. And it was something that really made me think, um, you know, all hospitals that are dealing with, uh, you know, dealing with births and, and all of that stuff should be available to pregnant women because what you go through, and like you said, as women, we know what's going on inside of us. And we know that, you know, if something's not wrong or, um, you know, if a child's not moving or, any of those things it's just a gut instinct um but this particular organization that came through that hospital was incredible and they helped with things like that housing and um you know support for for people who needed it um during you know during all of, all of the things that they go through but what a horrendous uh experience that they're the really odd thing is that I'd still go back and have another one if I could yeah <laughs> I think your body yeah. you, you just you forget all of that because of what you're given at the end of it like you Absolutely. just yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's a strange 
it's a strange thing to think about, but um, yeah, I think it would have been an absolute disaster if I had had a fourth. <laughs> well, yeah, you definitely chose your your health there, that's for sure. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, Aston. So, what the reason I wanted to get you on today was to have a little little chat about um about Aston and uh I guess what we'd call it a a somewhat recent diagnosis um uh and how that all came about and how that um works into your you know um everyday life now and how that I guess has changed the dynamics in your home as well so uh yeah go for it tell us so last year, um, shortly after Aston started PrEP, um, he was diagnosed with um, ASD, so autism level three, um, means requiring substantial support um, throughout the whole day. So pretty much, look, I always had an inkling ever since he was really young. So going through childcare, um, he started childcare at six months of age. It wasn't that he was behind in things. It was just that he always um, like went to the beat of his own drum. So he loved solitary play. He wasn't really interested in what other children were doing and what was going on around him as long as he was sort of happy that's all he cared about, which you might say is normal for a child to be like that, but it was it was different. You could tell that um, he didn't really hold friendships close to him uh, yeah. from a young age, whereas children generally want to sort of play together. Um, so moving, sort of moving through um, the childcare, he became quite uh, scared of really loud noises. So they used to have a maintenance guy come into the to the centre and like cut the grass and do that sort of thing. Um, And Aston hated that noise. So he would panic, like become absolutely hysterical, Um, even to the the point where he would see that man before he'd even, you know, started the works outside. But he saw like he remembered the uh, high vis clothing. So any person that he'd see out in public with high vis clothing, yeah, panic. Yeah. And he'd be like, oh my God, associates that with loud noise. Yeah. So that was sort of one of the first things. Um, another thing was he didn't like having a shower. So he would only have a bath because with the bath, what I associated it with was having control of how the water felt on mm-hmm. his skin rather than um, not being able to control the shower. So the noise of the shower how it felt, how wet he got. It, yeah. it, it sort of seemed to be always be about control, like he had to have that control of the situation. So that was another another sort of factor. Um, he, once he started to get a bit older, so from about, oh, well, another thing actually from a younger age, um, fussy with textures and the feel of, so, like, if he ever had anything on his hands, it would need to get off straight away. Yep. Although he was intrigued with feeling stuff, but then as soon as he realised there was something he didn't want on his hands, it had to come off straight away. Yeah. Um, so more, yeah, like sensory sort of warnings. But as a first-time parent, 
you you sort of think, oh well, a kid's a kid. Like yeah. they're all different. They all figuring it out. He, you know, he's yeah, finding his own little rhythm. That's right. And he's a boy. Boys are known to be a little bit slower on the way of you know crawling walking yep. talking they're just a bit lazier like still even as adults you know like they're just um they're, they're different so um I never thought I never thought too much of it and I'd probably say I buried my head in the sand a little bit I did have um the child care center was bringing things to my attention and I did become quite defensive about that initially um because I was like, well, what do you mean, like, he's doing this or he's doing that? Like, that's normal. Like, children don't come out of a textbook. Like, what are you expecting? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, from the age of about three to four, things started to really um, sort of amplify, I guess. Um, he took quite a while to toilet train, so he didn't have a lot of interest in that. So it was about four by the time he was toilet trained, which in – looking back now is a pretty good age considering his diagnosis but at mm. the time it was behind the eight ball so he was in just about to go into pre-kinder and he was just toilet trained and um, you can judge yourself on that like I know um you know a lot of parents can be quite hard on themselves hard on themselves and also you know look at other children and what they're doing and think you know oh, you know what's wrong with my child or whatever or did you just kind of do your own thing and not really um you know, bother to to worry about what others were doing. Yeah, I wasn't really worrying about what others was do what others were doing, and I think I think that was because I felt at the time um, his difference in say the childcare centre scheme um, was. I felt like that was being shoved in my face as an attack, like he should be doing this, this and this yeah. at this age. Yeah. So I shut all of that out and I was just like, look, my child's going to do what he wants. You know, you don't see any child crawling to school. They all walk at some yeah. point in time. Like there's no yeah. time frames for that. Yeah. Um, and, look, he he um, had, had a couple of... Um, tough months when he was in um, pre-kinder just with uh, not being able to communicate exactly what he wanted. So when they're at the age of three and four, you expect that they should be able to sort of have talk into a little bit of a sentence for you, like tell you what they yeah. wanted, whereas yeah. Aston would point or make sounds that I knew what he wanted and I could understand, but obviously the educators couldn't or the children around him couldn't. So yeah. he then became to get, he would like lash out and become quite frustrated um, at what was going on because no one could understand what he was trying to say and he couldn't understand why they couldn't understand. Yeah, yeah, I understand, yeah. Um, so there was so many, looking back now, there were so many alarms going off that, okay, we had, we had something going on, but as I said initially, uh, I'm probably guilty of burying my head in the sand um, because, sadly, children on the spectrum or any, any child diagnosed with a disability or even any adult with a disability, you still face backlash of that. You still feel like you're being judged. Like, you know, you go to the supermarket and your child is misbehaving and you'll have someone looking at you behind you thinking, you know, what control your child. Like, child. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not, we still don't live in a world where you can 
you know, be like, okay, look, I think my child's on the spectrum and I'm just going to shout that out to the whole world and everyone's going to understand because not everyone does understand. Yeah, absolutely. So, you, um, yeah, have, have you kind of de- dealt with that, I guess? Have you, do you just keep to yourself about it or if someone, you know, is judgy or, you know, has anyone ever said anything to you in public or, you know, has there been anything that comes to mind that um, you kind of had to, you know, kick into ninja well, mode? Not, not really. I think I'm pretty good at the whole death stare thing though when I feel <laughs> like um, yeah. someone's like looking at me or I remember one day I took Aston into Aldi and he wanted to know what the exit door was for and he opened the exit door and the alarm started going off. Yeah, right. Aldi. And he... What a naughty little boy. Yeah, yeah, what a naughty little boy. That's what people were looking at me, like rolling their eyes and like, what the hell? And he was terrified because the noise was so loud. Yeah, well. Um, so no one cared about how he was. It was just he was a naughty child. So yeah. for me, I'm not ashamed of it at all. I tell, you know, I he is, um, he is who he is, like, and I'm fully supportive of that. I... Um, you know, anyone who wants to know anything about autism or, um, you know, is afraid to to look into it because they don't want to know whether it is or it isn't, like, go out and do it. The thing that you have to understand is that by burying your head in the sand, like I did for a, for a little while, it doesn't do the child any good. So yeah. it might make you feel a little bit better inside, but your child is going to suffer because of it so when Aston first started school he couldn't sit in the classroom he couldn't participate in any class activities he would push over bookshelves he would throw things around the room he would scream he would hit himself he would run away like try and choke himself that's how that's awful that yeah that's how unprepared your child can be yeah you, you don't get them the help that they potentially need to succeed. And what's it look like for Aston now? So now that you're able to, um, you know, I guess I don't really like saying it like this, but put a label on it um, or identify, you know, um, what he needs, what does that look like for you in terms of, um, you know, his uh, education moving forward and care for him and also with his brothers? So... Um, the point where it got really bad before he was first diagnosed was he was lashing out at Nixon. So he actually, I think I, um, you know, posted on Facebook like last year at some time, people asked what it's like to have boys. Well, here's a perfect example. So there was a chunk of Nixon's hair and Nixon had a blood eyebrow because <laughs> Aston had thrown the TV <laughs> and then pulled out his hair. And I was like, this is a perfect example of what it's like to have boys. But at the end of the day, there was more to it than that. Aston yeah. was frustrated. He was struggling. So from there, we ha- we got the diagnosis and everything done through a psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, we only had to see her a few times and it was extremely evident that, yes, this child needs help. Um, and it was through COVID. It was the hardest thing to try and get into someone and get a diagnosis through COVID, but we did. Um, his school is like amazing um so so supportive they have helped with so many assessments and he's supported um all throughout the day so even so last year he required significant support and a lot of breaks and he really just he couldn't be involved in the classroom at all he sort of had his own space 
to try and do learning. Um, medication helped. He was medicated a lot higher than what he is now last year. Um, but at the moment, he's only medicated slightly on the days he goes to school. When he doesn't go to school and on weekends, he's not medicated at all. Yep. So we've come a long way with that. Um, he can sit in the classroom. He has lots of friends. He's such a popular little boy at school. I think children on the spectrum have this aura about them. They're just so loving and caring, but they just don't know how to communicate um, that that caring personality to others. They might, you know, get two in somebody's personal space, but all they're trying to really say is, hey, like, I like you, can I join in? It's just a different well, way. Yeah. It's, it's a funny. Uh, Aaliyah and Aston get along so, so well. You know, um, the, all the times I've spent with him, he's such a sweet little boy. You know, I wouldn't um, I wouldn't have picked it, to be honest. Um, you know, it, I guess it's probably, and especially like you say too with boys because, you know, boys can be boisterous and, um, you know, they're, they're a lot more adventurous, I guess, in, in terms of, um, you know, if we're talking about girls and boys, it definitely can have it both ways. But, um, yeah, like they, the, the kids play so well together and, you know, it's we, – we, we never, never – until you posted it on Facebook, we had no idea. I think I still feel like I have to get his voice out there and get people to understand because I still feel – like, um, so say if I meet a new parent or Aston's at school or Aston goes to a birthday party, I still feel myself having to explain that, okay, he's had an emotional outburst um, and done something that he regrets at that time, whether that's he's trying to get out of like a play centre and he might accidentally push a child to get out. It's not that he's pushed a child because he's violent. He's trying to escape that situation. And that's what I still think that, um, a lot of society don't understand that just because a child is loud or appears to be violent or reserved or whatever it is, look outside that, like what you consider to be a textbook child. It's a huge thing I think that us in society need to look at because it's kind of a little bit sad too that, um, you know, as a parent of autism, you have to say, oh, sorry, he has autism. That's right, yeah, and I still do that to this day, but I shouldn't have to. I no. shouldn't have to um, go to the aid of, you know, my innocent seven-year-old child mm. to try and explain, look, he's really hurting inside, mm. And but then me having to explain that makes me hurt inside as well because it's like he's not being treated the same as what, you know, what I would say sounds terrible, but a normal child, you know, yeah. like yeah. it's just different. But I guess too, I, um, just thinking back, um, we just spent the school holidays in Echuca and the, we spent a lot of time with, um, you know, the same sort of families. There was about maybe four different families and there was one in particular and there was a six and a nine-year-old, um, six-year-old boy, nine-year-old girl and they both had autism in the same family. And we, um, Karaya and I picked it up quite quickly. Or we, we knew that they, you know, they, that they had something. Um, the little boy's speech was um, really, really difficult and he had a lot of sensory issues. And we were doing those, you know, those little beads that you put on those trays and you iron them and turn them into different 
things anyway we're doing those and he loved it he had this focus um but he would get frustrated and like hit himself in the head and um, we then eventually met his mum and his mum straight away said oh I'm not sure if you know but he has autism and I actually at the time thought to myself that's so sad that she has to explain that to me like we didn't judge these children we knew that there was that we had to approach them differently um, because you know the the other family, the two little girls um, who didn't have autism, you know they weren't um, you know responding or acting the way that that the other two were. But we were certainly able to manage it, and we didn't you know you wouldn't treat them any differently. But at the time, I thought to myself, that's so shit that she has to say it. And like, we do we we do feel like we have to say it. Yeah. Um, like because you feel automatic judgment from the other parents and that's how I've always been made feel and I'm so passionate about getting getting other people to understand to be kinder like when yeah. it comes to children are children yeah be kind even when you know there's like when they grow to be adults like just be kind mm. that's all I can really say yeah, yeah I think that's such a, a probably a great way for us to uh to wrap it up I think um i hope this conversation has opened a lot of um a lot more conversations for others and a lot less judgment because yeah as we have alluded to all of these all of the children that we have are absolute blessings and um yeah be absolutely be kind i have a very serious question to ask you okay you ready for it yeah I feel like it's not serious. No, it's not at all. <laughs> you know me too well. You keep your sauce in the fridge or the pantry. My sauce? Yeah. Pantry all the way. Really? Yeah. You're Who our, puts their sauce in the fridge? You are our first pantry. I'm not kidding you. Yeah, no. Nah, I, I can't. It's strange. It, the te- it changes the whole texture. I, I'm not judging. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just asking a question. If I was here, she'd probably hang up the call actually because she can't handle. I mean, I couldn't give a shit either way to be honest, but she can't handle not cold sauce. Oh well, I'll remember that for when you guys yeah, come right. for a barbecue. <laughs> put your, put your sauce in the fridge. Uh, well, thank you so so much for uh, being so honest and raw and sharing all of your stories and experiences with us. And we have to catch up very very soon. Sounds great. All Thanks right. for having me. See you later. You go, babe. No, you go. No, no, you say it. No, you go. Come on. Okay, fine, I'll go. What am I saying? About reviewing and questions. Oh, yeah. If you guys have any questions, comments, feedback, please feel free to send us a DM. We are an absolute open book, so happy to answer uh, any of those. And if you like what you hear, please click subscribe, follow, and write us a review uh if you don't like what you hear yeah five stars are good but if you don't like what you hear write a review too because you know always take feedback on board right absolutely thank you once again for all your love and support and we're really loving what we're doing so thank you again have a good day